Welcome to College Baseball 365 and another edition of This Week in ACC Baseball. I'm your host, Stu Murray. I'll be joined momentarily by my co-host, Josh White, as we look back at ACC action last week, talk about pitchers and players of the week, as well as preview this important upcoming weekend as we turn toward the home stretch of this 36-game ACC schedule. But before we do that, we're delighted to have on the show second-year pitching coach at Florida State, Jimmy Belanger. Coach Belanger's in his 12th year as a D1 pitching coach with prior stops at Monmouth, Maryland, and Kentucky. Over that time, he's already developed over 25 MLB draftees, and he has his Florida State pitching staff ranked number one in the ACC with a, an ERA of 3.05. It's really a pleasure to welcome to the show Jimmy Belanger. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Stu. Well, where I wanted to start, actually, is uh, going before your days at Monmouth to your playing days, uh, your pitching days, to be more specific, Jimmy. Uh, you were a pitcher on Louisville's 2007 and 2008 teams. Of course, the 2007 team was the very first year Dan McDonald took over that program, and you guys went to Omaha in that first year. I'm wondering if you could just go back to your time there and, and what you might have noticed or, in retrospect, seen that, that might have predicted the wild success that Dan's had at, uh, at Louisville? Uh, you know, I, I think if you were to ask, like, uh, you know, he gets, you get the question a lot about, you know, what Mac does great, you know, and, and uh, the, the one of the, the best things he can do is his ability to motivate. And, uh, you know, he, he had a group in in that 2007 team, uh, they brought me in from junior college, so I wasn't there with the staff before that, but you had a team of a lot of older guys who had the year before, I believe they had lost to, to Notre Dame in the Big East Championship game the year before in the conference tournament, and kind of, you know, everybody had come back. You know, we had a fifth-year senior at center, and a senior at left, and a senior at short, and a senior at second, and a senior at first. I mean, we were just we're wow. <laughs> seniors everywhere. Uh, so you had a lot of guys that were craving it, you know, um, and, you know, his ability to motivate, you know, obviously I think is, is one of his best tools. But, you know, and then just his ability to, to recruit, you know, I just have gone up against him a bunch now over the years. And, hmm. and uh, his, you know, him and his staff's ability to recruit and evaluate. And then, you know, when, when they get guys on campus there, they, they do a pretty good job of, of getting them. Um, so you, you saw those things, you know, you know, looking back, like just how he's able to get guys all the buy-in plan. You can see why they've had they've had. Well, you pitched for Roger Williams there, who's been on uh, Dan's staff since day one, and Roger has uh, as good a track record as anybody, really, in developing pitchers and, and MLB draftees. I'm wondering, you know, is there anything that you have taken from Roger all these years that you still sort of use as part of your philosophy today? A, a lot. You know, <laughs> I was really fortunate <clears throat> that after I got done playing in 2008, I actually stayed on a year and coached there. So I was a, I had to finish my degree. So in 2009, I stayed on as a student assisting the coach after I got done playing. So I got a chance just to be, uh, you know, around Raj on that side of it, you know, for a whole year. Uh, so there's a ton I take, you know, from what he does. You know, just, you know, probably the biggest piece is just letting guys be themselves. You know, I, I think that's one of the Rogers' best attributes is, you know, I'm saying each pitcher he, they bring in is different, and, and he doesn't cookie-cut guys. You know, he lets guys kind of grow into themselves, and when they need, you know, when they need something, a tool or a fix, he's there to help with that. You know what I mean? But it's not a come in and, 
you know, change what you do. You know what I mean? I think what he does great is, you know, he, he's able to evaluate what you do well and he doesn't change that. You know, he builds off that. And that, that's one of the things I've tried to take with me along my stops. I love it. Uh, one, one thing that uh, you have a really unique perspective on is, is the is recent experience in the SEC. We mentioned you were a pitching coach under Nick Mingione at Kentucky from 2017 to 2019. Before that, you were with John Sheff at Maryland. A couple of those years were in the ACC before they went to the Big Ten. And, of course, you've been in the ACC now two years with Meet at, at Florida State. I'm wondering, you know, when you look at these two conferences, which I think it's pretty clear are the two best conferences in the country, is there anything that sort of distinguishes one from the other in your mind? You know, you get some of them, them atmospheres in the SEC when they get going on a Friday night are are, are hard to match. You know, I, I would say Dick Hauser gets there, and, you know, we didn't get to many places in the ACC last year. Um, you know, and then obviously with COVID this year, the, the crowds are, are limited. But uh, you get you get it rocking, you know, at Mississippi State. You know, I remember we played there in 2017 on Super Bulldog weekend. And Brent Rooker hit three runs in home three home runs in one home game against us, and that place was like shaking. Um, so you, you get some places like there, LSU, Ole Miss. You know, you got some really good atmospheres. Um, but you know, the, the talent. You know what I mean? Is you know there might be a little bit. You know, at times more power arms. I would say like a little bit more velo at times in the SEC. But this year, I mean, shoot, you know, everybody in the ACC we've played is everybody's got power stuff. You know what I mean? Coming mm-hmm. off COVID, but you know. Probably in my three years in the SEC, you just—I mean, there's—you get some elite arms, you know, that you, you'll run into on a weekend there. Yeah, so I think this year, probably looking at uh, I don't know eight or nine, maybe ten uh, uh, regional bids from the SEC, maybe that many from the ACC. It's still too early to say for sure, but both these conferences uh, regularly produce a ton of MLB talent. Talking about power arms, boy, you've got power arms in, in your history, and you certainly have them at Florida State. One of the key sort of hallmarks of your staffs, if you will, is is strikeouts. Now, we know strikeouts are up all over the country, but you've been leading uh, in, in strikeouts per nine innings or in the top 20 for almost every one of your years here at the D1 level. Obviously, you need dudes. You need arms. You need uh, pitch mixes. Uh, you need command and everything else. But I'm wondering about your coaching approach to teaching strikeouts. What are some of the key things that you try to instill in your pitchers? Well, you know, here, you know, a big thing that I've adopted and, and it was, you know, it's, it's been a motto uh, here be- before I got here. But in our bullpen, there's a, a big sign along behind the catchers and it says AAA34K. Hmm. And it's uh, any pitch, anytime, anywhere, three pitches for strikes. And that's been a Florida State thing for a long time, but I've kind of adopted it, you know, and, and kind of rolled with it. And I think we just train that way. You know, I mean, I, we, you know, we train our pitchers from the time they get here. Like, in, you know, when we're doing live batting practice, we're not just pumping heaters and heat fastball <laughs> counts. We're going to teach our guys to throw 2 0 changeups and, you know, 2 1 changeups and 3 1 changeups and breaking balls and fastball counts. And the heater, we're going to challenge our guys to throw the fastball in. And we do it from the time they get here, you know. And Meek gets upset if I start just calling <laughs> one pitch all the time. You know what I mean? He's like, mix it. You know what I mean? Um, not to say that we don't, you know, you know, if, when it's a game situation, you know, we have certain guys that, you know, can just throw fastballs and we'll do that, you know, to do that. But I think, you know, one of the reasons that we're able to strike guys out is, you know, I guess it's a twofold thing. But one is 
we train to be able to do a lot of different things. You know what I mean? It's not, uh, you know, I would think when a team comes in and plays us, um, you know, everybody's going to have certain tendencies, but I would hope they, they look at us and be like, man, you can't, you know, in a two-well count, you just can't sit on a fastball here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's one of it. And then, you know, the other piece is, you know, I think we just, you know, I try to call pitches to what our guys are good at doing, you know? So uh, we don't sit there and preach, you know, we're trying to strike everybody out, you know what I mean? But I think that you know, we just, we go about it and we do, you know, just what our guys are able to do their best. And we just call pitches that way. And then if we need to, you know, pitch backwards or cross count or do different things. We've trained that all year, so they're prepared to do that. Well, it's been wildly successful over your career. And in the last two years, I mean, last year at Florida State, uh, just in that abbreviated season, you guys were fifth in the country at 12.1 Ks per nine. This year you lead the ACC and are number six overall nationally. And the guy that really sort of sets the tone for you, of course, is your Friday guy, Parker Messick. I mean, he only had 11, I think, 0.2 innings uh, of work last year, so it was somewhat of an unknown coming in this uh, this season. But, boy, does he ever set the table and the tone for you on Fridays. What really impressed you the most about Parker Messick and his consistency so far this year? He's just super competitive. I mean, I, I've had some really competitive guys in the past that, like, you just, you know, it, you know, it doesn't matter if they got their A stuff, B stuff, or C stuff, we're going to go out and get you um, – <clears throat> you know, give you a chance. Um, but he, he might, you know, rank among the top of them that I've had. I mean, he's just, his ability just to, to will himself in games, you know, because there's honestly, there's against Louisville, maybe he might've had like his B plus stuff, you know, and, but every other game he's, he, he hasn't shown the best version of himself stuff wise yet Wow, uh, on the mound. And he just, he just has the ability just to will himself to win games. And like when he just, when he's on the mound, it's him versus the hitter and he just does not want to lose. And uh, it's a, it's a hard trait to teach. You know what I mean? He just has that ability and he's always, he's had it since he's been here. And uh, you know, last year he he pitched in some, you know, he was kind of really coming on. He was, he kind of took over our closing role there uh, as the season was going on. That's kind of what the role he would have had moving forward if the season kept going. But uh, he just he, there's just a lot of high trust factor with him, you know, when he's out there. You know, even if he doesn't have his best stuff, you know, he's going to give you a chance. Well, finding a way to win, uh, not only on the mound, but you know, take us into the dugout at Virginia Tech. You guys were struggling offensively. Meat puts him in the lineup. He was a two-way guy in high school, but he's not hit at all in college up until that day, and he homers and and sort of <laughs> catalyzes a you know a ten-day stretch when you guys were really hot. What was that like in the dugout when, when Parker Messick goes deep? You know, <laughs> we so we have a thing here. When we throw a, shut, a shutout, I'll give the pitchers batting practice. So the first shutout we threw this year was uh, Parker shut out Virginia on a Friday night the week before. <clears throat> so that Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it was, you know, I gave the pitchers CP and we did it before practice. And, uh, and Meek came out to watch. You know, it's just like, you know, obviously a fun time for the pitchers. They're just trying to hit homers. And uh, and Parker was launching balls in BP, like just hitting them out, you know, every other swing. And and Wyatt Crowell, who's been playing every day for us, was just hitting line drives all over the ballpark. And we knew Wyatt can really run. He's like a six-five runner. Um, but, you know, those two guys. And then, you know, one of our closers, Davis Hare, was another guy just hitting line drives all over the park. So, you know, at the end of it, Meat was upset with himself. He's like, you know, 
11 every year would have the pitchers hit early in the fall to see if any of them can do it. Huh. And we, you know, with COVID and everything, we just didn't do it this year. And uh, so he was pissed at himself, you know, for not checking on it sooner. But, uh, you know, we, we were kind of struggling offensively there for, you know, at the time, you know, we had some of our guys who were really pressing. So, you know, we, we go up, you know, Parker pitches on Friday and then on Saturday we got shut out. And yep. we just, you know, we just weren't very competitive in the box. So we were just like, screw it, you know, let's, let's roll it out there. And we know Parker's going to compete, you know, and that's what we wanted, you know, just a guy who's going to just compete in there. And, uh, I mean, the guy's first at bat, he hits an oppo tank. So, I mean, it was awesome in the dugout, but, like, it really didn't surprise – as weird as it is, like, it didn't surprise me. <laughs> like, wow. just kind of who he is. But uh, he's come back to earth a little bit, you know, with the, with the offensive piece. I think teams have figured out kind of what he can do and what he can't do. But what it did was it just – I felt like it freed up our hitters, you mm-hmm. know, and just kind of took the monkey off their back a little bit, like, took pressure off them, like – you know, just go out and compete and have fun. Like this guy hadn't had a live at bat since high school, and he, he's doing it. You know, so I think that's what it did more than anything. Is just freed up our offense, and, and they've been much better to that point. Yeah, what a catalyst this guy is, and, and really a joy to watch. And you got two other really good and consistent starters, and Connor Grady and Bryce Hubbard, different cats. Uh, they've had their moments this year when they're really good. What, what what's the best attribute attribute about those guys, Connor Grady and Bryce Hubbard? Well. Bryce, he probably has the most swing and miss stuff on our team. Like, it's just metrically, his fastball, the way it moves, uh, is a real challenge for guys. I mean, he just, I would say, probably gets the most swings and misses on our team, especially with his fastball. Um, and then he's got a big, really good curveball off of that. Uh, so, you know, Bryce is it's a high swing and miss at times. It, you know, he'll struggle in the zone. You know what I mean? That when he struggles, that's usually his deal. It's just the command. But he's been very good, you know, to this point. I think the Louisville starts really the only start where the command really bit him in the butt. Hmm. Um, and then Connor Grady is just, I mean, he fits that AAA 3-4K to a T. I mean, it's just, it's a above average slider, above average changeup. He can command the fastball to two sides of the plate. I mean, at times, I feel like he throws his slider for a strike more than he does his fastball. So it's, I mean, he can just do a lot of different things. You know what I mean? He could beat you a lot of different ways. Uh, and he's just you know, a three-year starter who just really has a good field of pitch, field his position. Um, he just, again, he's one of them guys on a Sunday, you, you know what you're getting out of him every single time out. Well, he was flat dominant at North Carolina. Seven innings, no runs, ten whiffs, no strike or no walks. Uh, and he's really been commanding the zone in the ACC. So, I mean, you guys have a, a really strong starting staff. There's one other guy who's, who's uh, been your weekday guy. And, he, of course, he came into the campus this year as, as highly acclaimed, and it's Carson Montgomery, of course. Um, he's had his moments. He struggled a little bit. But, man, the, the ceiling seems really high with this guy. What's the key for his development this year and, and going into next year? Uh, commanding the ball better, you know, more consistently. Uh, I mean, he's shown flashes. I mean, he's, he's start, he made two starts against Florida, and both times pitched, thrown the ball fantastic. Yep. Um, he's, he's done a great job in that role, what we've been asking for. I feel like he just, from the fall till now, it just continues to improve. He just, there's a lot of aptitude there with him, his ability just to take information and apply it. Uh, very humble kid. Just, you know, for a guy who came in with all the hype in the world, you, you wouldn't know it. And uh, hmm. But, you know, for him, just moving forward, it's just, continuing just to command the fastball at a higher level uh, you know his off speed you know he's got 
I think you could put a, you know, a 60 grade on three of his off-seat pitches. I mean, it's, it's, you know, so it's the ability is, is there to be, a, you know, a high-level, you know, guy in our league. Um, and I think he will be, you know, and he's going to, and at some point, you know, if we make a run in the postseason here, he's going to have to pitch, you know, in some of them big moments, you know, and I, but he, that that's the biggest thing for him moving forward is just continuing to command the baseball at a higher level. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you that slider. I just love that slider. It's like almost a twelve-six piece, uh, really nasty. So he's worth watching. Certainly, the rest of this year and going forward. Now you've got, I think, perhaps the deepest and, and most effective bullpen, not only in the ACC but perhaps in the country. There are six guys that have made, I think, at least eleven appearances. So we can't talk about everybody in great length. But if you're up for it, I'd love to play just a little word association. So the first word or two that comes into mind when I give you a name, um, you can share what's on your mind. Does that sound like a like a fair play? Sure. Jonah Scalaro. Slider machine. Chase Haney. Consistent. Clayton Kwiatkowski. Tough. Davis Hare. Splitter. Hunter Purdue. Below. And then Jack Anderson. Pitchability. He just keeps getting better. I mean, yeah, his stuff just keeps rising too. But. So those those six guys, the worst ERA among them is three point four eight. Uh, and they've given you just tons of quality outings. So with that, with that starting staff and this bullpen and some guys we didn't even mention, I mean, you're really set up for, for the stretch run here. Just in terms of your, your position, guys, I mean, everyone knows Robbie Martin can flat hit. He's doing that again. He's hitting about 330 or so with seven homers. Tyler Martin is an on-base machine. He's at 476 on the year. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, freeing up guys uh, to, to be looser. It looks like Elijah Cabell is a lot looser than he was earlier. He's starting to get hot. But the one guy I want to ask you about it is Matthew Nelson, uh, the catcher there, both defensively but offensively. He is in a zone right now. You know, the Golden Spikes Award watch list came out last week, and his name wasn't on it. And he had, I think, at least two, if not three homers since. He's got 15 on the year, and he should be in that conversation. But enough of me talking about uh, Matthew Nelson. What does he offer the team, and, and how hot is he right now? I mean, he just gives you quality at bats every time out. I mean, he's he's been doing it in the fall. He did it all fall. He did it all preseason. Um, I mean, this isn't you know, it's not a surprise to any of us. He, he came, you know, a lot of COVID could have done certain things for certain guys, and uh, you know, he, he he changed his body. I mean, hmm. he cut. I mean, he came in. He was leaner, more athletic, faster, stronger. Um, so all the work he's put in is just you know, paying off. And I mean, he was having those, I mean, I bet you if we had a full season last year, he would have put up, you know, big numbers too. He was really starting to come on, you know, last year, but you know, more than the offensive piece, he just does a great job handling our staff. I mean, I think he's thrown out. I mean, I think the teams are like 13 to 23 or 14 to 24. I mean, he throws that. I mean, and he probably has shown have thrown out five more than he huh. has, he just, you know, maybe like a, you know, a drop ball at second or something like that. But he just, he just runs our staff and, you know, he can block, you know, he's a big reason why we lead the league in strikeouts because when we need to bury a breaking ball, our guys mm. have the trust of him back there to, to do it, you know, cause he's going to block it up. Uh, but 
I think he's one of the best players in the country. You know, I mean, his numbers show it. But he, just what he he does for our staff and our team, and just he's just a consistent force back there for us. We know what we're getting out of him. Well, you, you love those stories when a guy commits to changing his body, getting in the best shape possible, and now seeing those results. So we wish him all the best, and would love to have USA Baseball maybe a little egg on their face that he wasn't in the the last forty five on that watch list. So before we let you go. We're a little bit uh, farther along than halfway through the ACC season. I'm wondering if, you know, you've seen an awful lot of bats. There's a lot of quality bats in the ACC this year. Are there any bats that really have impressed you, either as you were scouting before the game or, or during the weekend series? Uh, I mean, Alex Benel is a Louisville wore us out pretty good. <laughs> he was pretty, and we, we, I feel like we got him hot. So he's been rolling ever since they played us. Yep. Uh, the, the Brock Wilkin at at uh, Wake Wake Forest. I thought you know I think he's going to be a really good player. Uh, he, he had some really good at bats and he's got some moxie to him. Um, Nico Popa, yes. uh, I thought he was pretty good at pit. I mean he just very tough and competitive kid. Uh, he, he ran off some really good at bats for them. Same thing with Kyle Hess. Uh, you know I think you know Pitt's one of them teams that just has a lot of older hitters with a lot of college at-bats and they got some moxie to them and a chip on their shoulder. Um, but, you know, off the top of my head, those are, those are some guys that, you know, were pretty impressive. Yeah, them. yeah, those are, those are some great dudes. And yeah, Pitt's a, it's a great story there, of course, with uh, one of your predecessors there, Mike Bell, the head coach at, at Pitt, was, of course, yeah. uh, 11's uh, pitching coach for a while. Now, you guys are getting ready for Georgia Tech uh, going down to Russ Chandler this weekend. Um, you know, they probably have as much offensive firepower as anyone. I don't know if you've looked, I'm sure you have looked at the scouting report and watched some tape on those guys. Uh, what do you think you're up for here uh, against those guys and what's a hitter-friendly ballpark down there? Well, we just got to do what we do, you know, I mean, it, it don't change. You know, obviously they got some talented guys. Um, they got some guys with some strength. They got some older guys. Uh, they got a couple guys with speed, so it's a, it's a good offense. But we just got to execute our game plan. You know, but again, you know how it is there. It's an offensive ballpark, so keeping the ball down, making quality pitches, and and uh, you know just playing clean baseball. You know, that's usually what it does it. Usually, the team that makes the most routine plays, throws the most strikes, and gets some timely hits wins, no matter where you're playing or who you're playing. Well, no doubt about that. So you guys are 13 and 11 as you uh, enter this weekend against Georgia Tech. Want to wish you all the best, closing strong here in the home stretch and solidifying yet another regional berth for Florida State. We look forward to catching up with you down the road, Jimmy, and uh, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Stu. Appreciate you having me on. That's Jimmy Belanger, pitching coach of the Florida State Seminoles. Well, I'm now joined by my sidekick down in uh, Coral Gables, Josh White. Josh, uh, welcome back here as we look at breaking down last week's action. We're starting to get close to the home stretch here, so these series take on a greater importance, and I know you called a couple of the Miami at Clemson games. These were two teams that entered that series with 500 records. And boy, coming out of that, they're going in different directions. Yeah, they are. Both teams were desperate to, you know, pick up a series win. Miami comes out on top by sweeping Clemson. And on Friday and Saturday, it was just a home run parade and barrage for Miami. They had seven different players combined for nine different home runs. Alex Terrell hit the parking deck once, and then he went on top of the parking deck it was only the second time Gino Damari said he ever saw anyone hit it on top of the parking deck in his 20-plus years at Miami. And then on Sunday, they came through with timely hitting. And they had Tony Jenkins, who hadn't played in two weeks, uh, deliver a sacrifice fly uh, off the bench to walk it off. And 
you kind of get this feeling that Miami's starting to figure it out a little bit. At, at least they're showing that as inconsistent as they've been, every time they've gotten swept and they look like they're down in the water, they respond. They won seven of the next eight after being swept by Florida State early in the year. Now they've won four in a row after being swept uh, by Pittsburgh. And, and I just feel bad for Clemson because they were in it on Sunday. They, they scored a runoff Carson Palmquist, Miami's closer in the seventh to make it close. But they need some more offense and I think the big thing that Miami had success with was keeping Caden Grice quiet. I think, you know, he, he's the big bad in that Clemson lineup. And, and if you quiet him, you quiet James Parker, you're going to be pretty successful against the Tigers. Well, to that uh, to that point, Miami held Clemson to just seven runs on the weekend. And, boy, if you silence Caden Grice, there's not a whole lot left in that lineup, unfortunately. But let's talk about the Miami pitching. I mean, holding Clemson to seven runs, they, mi- they, they uh, mixed up their starters again. You saw... Uh, Alejandro Rosario back on Friday night, struck out nine guys. That's great to see. Then they went Jordan, Dubberly, and, and Garland on Sunday and had a lot of success. Yeah, it was two guys that weren't in the weekend rotation to start the year in Dubberly and Garland. And Rosario, like you mentioned, doing what he's done pretty much his entire freshman year now that he's back after a minor oblique injury, then had a stomach bug that kept him out uh, from making consecutive Friday starts. And Dubberly is just this journeyman, um, junior college, battled injuries, and He's very much a command pitcher, not going to blow up by you. The strikeouts, I think, are starting to tick up a little more as he's adjusting to ACC play. But to get four innings out of him and and then what Jake Garland did on Sunday, it's what he had done in the midweek of, you know, gives Miami length. They turn it straight to Carson Palmquist who hadn't pitched the entire weekend. I think that's going to be the three you're going to see for Miami. It's not as flashy as Victor Medeiros and Daniel Fetterman in that weekend rotation, but it's giving them results, you know, although it re- requires Miami to field the baseball behind them, you know, it's gotten them results the last couple weekends. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, you know, Miami's one of those teams where, you know, when they're good, they're very good. When they're bad, and I've seen them bad, um, you know, they really scuffle. So maybe they've got their pitching rotation all set. And offensively, you know, Yohandi Morales continues to impress as a true freshman. Two homers in that weekend series against Clemson quietly leading that club in home runs and triples and some other offensive categories. And uh, he's really going to be a force to, to be dealt with in the ACC in the coming years. So Miami sweeps Clemson. They're now 13-10 and 10 and uh, looking up um, as we head toward the, the back end of this season. I was at Georgia Tech at Virginia Tech. And I'll tell you what, first off the top, I want to give Virginia Tech game day operations a shout out. Uh, they manage that situation really well down there. They do it with a smile. They accommodated quite a few people. Um, you know, they asked you to be socially cognizant of, of distance, uh, but it all worked out. And that's one heck of an environment they have at English Field there. Having said that, Georgia Tech found a way to get to the Virginia Tech bullpen, pound that bullpen, and come away with a big road series win. Yeah, I didn't think Virginia Tech's starting pitching was really the problem this weekend. It was the bullpen, like you mentioned. Virginia Tech got to Andy Archer early on the Friday night game, but if you just look at the 6th, 7th, and 8th innings, the offense came alive for Georgia Tech. They scored 13 of their 15 runs in that Friday game and what was an absolute shootout between those two sides on Saturday. It was a little more what you expected from Virginia Tech with Anthony Simonelli, and now that Shane Connolly has kind of shifted into this Sunday role, it's, it's great for Virginia Tech because it gives them another arm, you know, to start. But then it leaves their bullpen a little exposed. And, and again, it kind of happened where Georgia Tech scored some late runs. I think they scored 10 of their 11 runs after from the sixth inning and onward. And again, it's not what you want to see, especially when you're at home. But give Georgia Tech credit. And 
they were a little bit of an anomaly, Stu, at the beginning of the year of seeing what Jordan Tech team we were going to get. But it seems to be that we're starting to get the Jordan, team, Jordan Tech team that we expected that's winning more often than not. And no doubt. And they, they welcomed the return of Marquise Grissom Jr., who made his first appearance in a midweek this past week. Highly ballyhooed uh, freshman here, and, and he could really be a key for them down the stretch. It's, it's a live arm from uh, from Grissom Jr. I'll tell you, Andrew Jenkins went off on Friday night. He hit two homers, and one of them I'm not sure has landed yet. Uh, and I'll tell you, if he gives them some offense with uh, Jake DeLeo coming on, Kevin Parada we've talked about, um, you've got a lot of weapons in that Georgia Tech offense. So big series win for them. I will say this, Chris Girard again was scratched uh, this weekend, the starter for Virginia Tech. He was battling a groin injury before. I think that's what's still nagging him. And to your point, without Gerard, they slip Connolly in on the Sunday starter, and that just sort of has a domino effect on the back end of that bullpen. So we want to see Chris Gerard get healthy uh, in, the, in the last month here because he makes that rotation look entirely different. So let's go to uh, Virginia. Louisville at Virginia. Virginia is showing some signs of life. They'd won two consecutive road series. They host uh, Louisville here. They win the opener, and they, they pique your interest and think, geez, can we get a third consecutive series? And then Louisville comes back and wins game two and three for the series win. Yeah, that Friday game was an absolute thriller, Stu. What Virginia was able to do, they were down 7-1 at one point. They put five runs on the board in the fifth, and, and then the Devin Ortiz solo in the ninth before they walked it off on an error. you got to give Virginia a lot of credit for staying in that game. They easily could have gotten swept this weekend, but – the better team won the series, and, and I think you're starting to see that more often than not, especially with Louisville the same way like Georgia Tech is doing. They're coming out with the results that they're expected to get, and we, we talk about all the time about Virginia's pitching and how good it is, but you got to give Louisville a lot of credit. They got to Andrew Abbott. They got to Mike Vassell, and something that we had called for weeks ago, maybe even a month ago it felt like, was when Virginia was going to put Nate Savino in the weekend rotation. They've done it. He's pitched better than you know Griff McGarry did but not dominant enough against this Louisville team that, again, they seem to do year in and year out. They seem to do all the little things right. They get enough pitching, enough offense. The defense doesn't kick around the ball all that much. And, you know, credit Louisville. They're, they're the best team in the conference or, you know, one of the best teams in the conference for a reason. Yeah, they can beat you so many ways offensively. And, of course, the old saying is speed never slumps. And they've got speed up and down that lineup uh, sort of a good news, bad news on the starting rotation for Louisville. Michael Kirian got knocked around pretty good by Virginia on that Friday night. I think he gave up 14 hits. Uh, but then on Sunday, Luke Smith came back. Some of you may remember Luke Smith from 2019. He wears goggles, and he was hurling invectives. I think it was at Vandy in that, uh, that College World Series game. But he was outstanding on Saturday, gave him seven quality innings, no, I think two earned runs, struck out six, didn't walk anybody. So if he returns to form, that's another weekend arm that can make them that much more difficult in a regional format. So good win for Louisville over Virginia. Virginia's got some uphill climbing to do to, uh, to get back in the regional hunt, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so let's go to Notre Dame uh, versus NC State. Notre Dame has yet to lose a, an ACC series under Link Jarrett, and they kept that string alive this past weekend. It, it is remarkable at the turnaround that this club, you know, they just don't falter. You, you've seen teams that, you know, slip up one weekend. No matter what, they have an answer. It appears they stay calm no matter what the score is. They were, you know, they were tied or they were down early in the game on Friday. They 
they clawed back and then they scored a run in the eighth to win it. And, and even on Saturday, just to, or rather on Sunday to take the series, they, they were so good. You know, they never waver. NC State both Friday and Saturday took early leads and Notre Dame found a way to get it done. Carter Potts had a, another good weekend uh, for Notre Dame. I, I think Nico Cavadas obviously steals the headlines in that lineup, but that lineup, the names might not jump off the page, but it's starting to prove itself and be a lot deeper between Myers at the top, Cole, Cavadas, Putz. Really, that top four has been deadly, and, and even guys towards the bottom are starting to deliver uh, for Notre Dame. And I think the thing that's really impressed me has been their pitching, another strong outing uh, by Will Mercer, five innings of two-run baseball. They, they get a strong relief appearance by Tanner Colehep out of the bullpen to really give them a chance in that Friday night game. I am extremely impressed by Notre Dame. And you, I feel like people are still waiting for them to slip up. They're still waiting to fall from the top of the ACC ranks. And they're right there neck and neck with Louisville. And th- this is really interesting where Notre Dame will fall, you know, not just come late April and May, but where are they going to be in June? Because now you're starting to think, okay, can they be a top eight seed and host, you know, a regional and a super? Well, their personality is really starting to emerge and crystallize here. And it's pitching and defense. You mentioned the pitching, the number two in the ACC and ACC play with a 3.72 ERA. They're the top fielding uh, team in the country. Uh, and they're just not going to beat themselves. And with enough offense, uh, you know, driving up pitch counts, really tough at-bats, they're, they're tough up and down that lineup. This is a team that I think you're going to have to beat because they're not going to beat themselves. And Typically, the deeper you go into postseason, the better pitching and defense really shines. And uh, I think their formula has real staying power. So be uh, interesting to watch Notre Dame going forward. I want to say this about NC State. They've gotten some really good weekend starts now consistently from Reed Johnson, Sam Heifel, and Matt Willardson. They've got Evan Justice now out of the bullpen. He was really good on that Saturday win for NC State. The problem is they just don't have a lot after those four guys. So those guys are racking up a lot of innings. They keep them in games, but it's typically the back end that's really hurt NC State um, in, in, the, in the last month or so. So big win for Notre Dame. Again, Link Jarrett undefeated in ACC play in his young career, which is truly incredible. Florida State, they take a series against Boston College. Unfortunately, Boston College continues to sink. They're now 5-16 and 16 in conference whereas uh, Florida State, a much-needed series win. They're now 13-11. and 11. Yeah, I think that series was expected based on, you know, the results of it. And, again, Boston College got off to that great start, and I think now they're starting to come back down to earth a little bit. They still have plenty of talent at the top of their lineup with Freilich, Dempsey, and Morissette, but I just think Florida State is one of the more underrated teams in the ACC. Parker Messick, another great start on Friday night. Bryce Hubbard behind him. That one-two punch has been so good for, you know, the Seminoles. And then on Sunday, uh, I I think Boston College roughed up Connor Grady a little bit, and, you know, their pitching hung in it. But I think that's been the problem for Boston College has been their pitching. Mason Pelio, who had been so good for them, isn't the same Mason Pelio. They move him out of the weekend rotation. I think Boston College is searching for answers, and when we get to it in a minute, Stu, just looking at, you know, potential teams on the bubble and regionals and who's who's even on the bubble making the ACC tournament. I think Boston College is a team – that has to have the largest sense of urgency in the conference considering, you know, they're at the bottom, but they are still within striking distance if they can pick things up quickly. No question about it. And we just, of course, talked to Jimmy Belanger at the top of this show. And, you know, Florida State, I think, is really dangerous because they are very, very good on the mound. 
Uh, they have six guys in their bullpen with 11 or more appearances, and, and no one has an ERA above 3.8 to, to complement three really good starters. So if, if they can get hot offensively and they can field the baseball, Florida State's a team I don't want to see late in May or even into a regional. So that's a team worth watching. Um, let's talk about Pitt. Uh, North Carolina, the, the pit to hail to pit express continues to chug down the track. They have a real nice series win against North Carolina. And this again is starting to look like a club that, you know what? They, they've got some staying power. There's something about these Florida state alums coaching in the <laughs> ACC this year, you know, Mike Martin, Jr. Mike Bell, they're both getting results and they played a double header against North Carolina on that Saturday or on that Saturday and it's tough to take a double header. I, I don't care who's playing. I don't care if it's the major leagues, college, even, you know, middle school baseball, it's tough to win both games and give Pitt a lot of credit. Not only did they sweep the double header on Saturday, they took a game from Austin Love, who I think has been one of the best pitchers in the ACC this season, wipeout stuff that they're only able to tag him for three runs. But I think Pitt's pitching has been such a nice surprise for them. That one, two punch of Mitch Myers, and Matt Gilbertson, that's gotten them results, and, and it did it again. Another six innings for Myers, a two-run ball, seven innings for Gilbertson of two-run baseball. It's almost similar to Notre Dame in a way, too, that Pitt doesn't beat themselves all that much. And, again, they take a series against the North Carolina team that are they the same North Carolina team we're used to seeing? No, but I think they're starting you know, to find who they are a little bit, and you're starting to see a little more power from that North Carolina team. You're starting to see the home runs come. But, again, a lot of credit to Pitt to take that series and, and defend their home turf. Well, you mentioned Gilbertson and Myers. You know, collectively they held uh, North Carolina to four runs in Game 1 and Game 2 combined. You know, Pitt was down 10-5 to five in Game 3 and had every reason to just sort of go on home and enjoy their series win. But they put the tying run at the plate uh, and lost 10-9 to nine on that Sunday. And it just go, you know, shows to Goya, as you mentioned, that they're not going to beat themselves and you've got to stamp them out once and for all because – they're, they're really believing it and playing with a ton of confidence. On that Friday night, Nico Popa homers, Ron Washington Jr. homers. I mean, these are the guys that you would expect to carry them, and they are. Uh, so Pitt, again, that story just continues to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, they, they're going to make some noise in a regional. If they can get Myers and Gilbertson to give them those quality outings, that's another team you don't want to see in a regional. So let's wrap things up from last weekend, Josh. Duke wins the series against Wake Forest. Uh, Ryan Cusick was the story on Friday, but then Duke comes back and scores 22 runs on 31 hits to win Game 2 and Game 3. Yeah, you saw Friday night and you said, oh my goodness, is Wake Forest going to have that bounce-back weekend they've been looking for? And, and Cusick does what he's done all year, seven shutter innings, 11 strikeouts. But, but you mentioned the Duke offense just exploded on Saturday and Sunday. The, the 22 runs, it, it felt like Wake Forest couldn't get an out, you know, no matter who they threw out there. And a lot of credit to Duke. I think this was a series that they really needed to have. They're another team, you know, that's on the bubble of the NCAA tournament right now. And, you know, I don't think they've lived up to maybe expectations from what they had, you know, coming off of a couple super regionals, trying to get back there and potentially take this program to the next step. And Jack Terry was good on Saturday that allowed the offense to explode. And I think Cooper Stinson stayed competitive enough. You know, was it his best performance? No, but I think Duke got early runs on the board. They scored five runs in the first two innings and, when you put him with a lead like that, it makes it so much easier. And it's been different guys. Peter Matt had a two run, uh, a two homer game in that Sunday performance. Obviously, you know Michael Rothenberg is a former All American catcher. They've got guys in that lineup that if they start to click, this is you know 
a Duke team that could start to figure it out a little bit. I agree. And one other bet that had a real nice weekend was Joey Loperfito. He went four for five with five RBIs in that game too. And to, to put a, a nice mark on a great weekend for him. So Duke wins that series against Wake Forest. And uh, that's uh, another weekend in the books here. So let's talk about our pitchers and players of the week. We talked about a lot of guys, uh, but who's your pitcher of the week uh, uh, from this, uh, this past week here, Josh? Well, I'm not going too far from that Duke-Wake Forest series. I'm going with Ryan Cusick on that Friday night game. Even though, you know, Wake Forest lost the series and got pummeled on Saturday and Sunday, Cusick was spectacular again. His longest outing of the season, seven shutout innings, four hits, four walks, 11 strikeouts, his fourth double-digit strikeout game. He has solidified himself as one of the better college pitchers that's draft-eligible this season. I would not be surprised to see him, you know, the first round, second, or third round at the latest right now if he stays healthy. I'm going with Ryan Cusick as my pitcher of the week. Stu, who do you have for your unsung pitcher of the week? Unsung pitcher of the week, I'm going with Tanner Kelhep of, uh, of Notre Dame. You mentioned him earlier. He actually made two appearances in both of those wins and the series wins uh, over NC State. He went to combine six innings, didn't give up any hits, I'm sorry, any runs, and, and he's really a, a live wire. He's a Tennessee transfer. He really brings it. He's got a real quick arm, and he's an absolute weapon for them out of the bullpen. So Tanner Colehep is, is my unsung pitcher of the week. How about your unsung position player of the week? Well, my unsung position player, it's kind of tough because I don't think there were too many guys that stood out in the ACC this week. It's not like you had a guy hit 700 with 17 home runs or anything like that, which sometimes you see. So I'm going with a guy who hit 385. It's not too unsung, but he did hit three home runs in as many games, drove in seven runs in those three games, and that's Alex Pinellas. All five of his hits were extra base hits. He's starting to put the bat on the ball again. You're seeing you know, that old bat you're used to seeing from Alex Pinellas after the slow start. So I'm going with Pinellas as unsung hitter of the week. I know I didn't dig too far into diamonds in the rough, but, but he's my unsung hitter of the week. Stu, who do we have for hitter of the week? Well, Matt Nelson is a guy who you have to put him up there. I mean, this is a guy who hit two homers, including a grand slam. He went four for 11 against Boston College. What's amazing about him, he's got 15 homers now. He did not show up in USA Baseball's Golden Spikes midseason award watch list. There were 45 guys mentioned. He isn't on that list. So technically, he's ineligible to win the Golden Spikes award and yet he's leading the ACC in homers and in RBIs. I'm going to go, though, with Carter Putts. Uh, he went 6-for-11 with two doubles and four RBIs against uh, uh, NC State in that series win. And I'm going to tack on his 4-for-4 his four four day in the midweek against uh, Central Michigan. So he went 10-for-15 on the week. That's good enough to me for me. He's my uh, position player of the week in the ACC. So there you go. We got five weekends left, Josh. I know you're coming up here to do uh, NC uh, against uh, Miami in Chapel Hill. Uh, what do you look for in that series? I think, again, it's very similar to what you saw with Miami and Clemson last week, that both teams are around that 500 mark. They they need some wins not only to solidify themselves in the NCAA tournament, but, you know, try and jockey themselves in terms of position in the ACC standings. For North Carolina, I think the biggest question mark for me right now is they're starting pitching. Joey Lancelotti um, is out for the year. They're missing Max Carlson for the rest of the year. Max Alba pitched in the midweek, and, and he got shelled so uh, they, they haven't released their starting pitching yet. It's probably going to be Austin Love in game one of that doubleheader on Friday. And then two question marks um, in my eyes. And, and then on the Miami side, I'm just looking to see, can they stay consistent? That's been the thing for them is, you know, they go on these big win streaks and then they get swept. And then they bounce back and then they get swept. So 
can they find that consistency? Can they get those good starts again from Deverly and Garland? And I think it should be a pretty competitive series. I would be surprised if North Carolina is swept or anything like that. I could see Miami maybe sweeping, but I think it's going to be a series where you're seeing one team squeak it out by doing a couple extra things right and, and winning two of three. So I'll be at Virginia Tech at NC State. Virginia Tech 15-9, and nine. NC State 9-12, and 12, and they're starting to get a little concerned about a regional bid for a team that was in almost everybody's top 20 to start the year. Uh, so they've got, uh, I think they have four series left. They're probably going to have to go, you know, 11-7 and, and seven or so to, to secure a bid. So a big series for NC State this week. Duke travels to Virginia. Duke at 8-13, and 13, Virginia at 9-15. and 15. Again, two teams that really have got to get hot or their seasons could come to an early uh, conclusion. Florida State at Georgia Tech. I think the story here is, well, it's pitching against hitting, but it's also Danny Hall. He's got 1,299 wins. Uh, he's poised to become just the fourth uh, current head coach in D1 baseball to have 1,300 or more wins. Josh, can you name any of the other three that have 1,300 or more wins as we speak? Of active coaches? <laughs> active coaches. This is unfair of me. I'm sorry, because I, I had to look this up, obviously. So wow. Paul, Paul Manieri is, is number one. Yep. John Anderson of Minnesota, number two. And Keith Gettin of Missouri State is number three. So Danny Hall, with a win this weekend, will join those three with 1,300 or more career wins at the D1 level. So best of luck to Danny Hall. Notre Dame at Boston College. Pitt at Louisville. Unfortunately, that's been called off. That was a highly anticipated series at Louisville between two top 20 teams. That's been shelved. And last but not least, it's Wake Forest at Clemson. Any closing thoughts, my man? First off, I would have gotten one of them, but that would have okay. been. I would have, got, I would have gotten Maneri. I wouldn't have gotten the other ones, I'll be honest. Um, since Pitt and Louisville got canceled, I think the biggest series uh, this weekend turned out to be that Florida State-Georgia Tech uh, series. Two of the better teams in the conference. They're not exactly at the top, but Georgia Tech's just one game out of first. In the Coastal, you have Florida State, you know, still behind Louisville and Notre Dame. And, and then again, I just think you have so many teams on the bubble right now, Stu, of the NCAA tournament. NC State's on the bubble. Clemson's on the bubble. Uh, North Carolina's on the bubble. Duke and Virginia, if they can pick up some wins, they might be on the bubble. Obviously, if Miami loses a bunch of games, they could be on the bubble the other way. So I, I think you're going to start to see a, a bigger sense of urgency. There's plenty of teams that have a lot of work uh, left to do in, in terms of just, you know, national seeds and where some of those teams might sit. I, I think you're looking at Notre Dame as, as a top eight seed right now. I think Louisville is a top 16 seed. Um, the one concern with Louisville nationally is their RPI is like 50th, which is very, very weird to see um, with Louisville. So, you know, those teams are probably in the running for top 16 teams. Uh, top 16 seeds, you know, you're looking at Virginia Tech, Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Miami, and Florida State are outside of that. They're, you know, just knocking on the top 25, or some of those teams are even ranked in the top 25 towards the back end. And I think with a lot of work in the next few weeks, they could get there. But you're looking at two teams that probably have host sites right now, and, you know, maybe seven or so teams that are in the postseason, and then another three or four that are on the bubble. So, a lot is up for grabs this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to give you one series and one team that I haven't given up on, and that's Virginia. As I mentioned, they're 9-15, and 15, but they have the pitching. And if that offense can finally get clicking, this is a team that can run off some, 
some wins in a row. Now they host Duke. You'd love to see them sweep Duke there and, and get to 12 and 15. Um, they almost have to at least have a series win to stay alive. But I haven't given up on UVA uh, because of that pitching staff and because of the potential of the offense. So keep an eye on that series and enjoy the weekend. Josh, look forward to having you over as you'll be coming up here to the Raleigh area and uh, look forward to seeing you live for a change. Always, I always love going to the Triangle. It's one of my favorite spots in the ACC. There's, there's such great food. There's such great baseball. And I'm looking forward to getting up there. So that'll do it for this week in ACC Baseball.